0: Hello and welcome to Vox: Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiaseo. It's the internet, do all that stuff to support the program, like, share, subscribe. My guest today is Rich Turin, author of Cashless. He is based in Shanghai, where he's lived for about 10 years. He comes from the world of investment bank trading desks, IBM, and now he's a full-time consultant and writer on all things China fintech. I found cashless to be really helpful in better understanding central bank digital currencies, particularly in the context of China's fintech revolution. I spoke with Rich about many facets, in particular, what this means for banks, credit card companies and fintech. Rich Turin, it's a great pleasure to have you here
1: on DigFinVox. Me. thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure to meet you and your audience.
0: Great, well, uh, look, so you wrote this book, which we did a review of on, on Digfin called Cashless. Uh, you spent a lot of time uh, detailing for us uh, the logic behind uh, central bank digital currencies, China's experience in particular. Uh, you talked a lot about some of the design issues and so on. So I, I think what I want to start off with is getting to the nub of one or two things that I have found helpful in your in your telling. One is when we're talking about CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, uh, the issue that this is digital money that is not related to a bank account, which is different than electronic money if you're using, say, uh, you know, um, uh, Alipay to, to make a transaction. So tell us a little bit more about what this means, the fact that the money is is not tied to an account, that it's money that it's on the phone and it's a separate
1: thing? Well, when we use our phone to transfer money now, we may see a bank balance on our phone. And that money, as I like to say, is not on the phone. All you're seeing is the representation of what your account has in it. And if we send money using Alipay, WeChat Pay, or many of our existing bank apps, we're really not sending money from one phone to say, if I'm sending it to you, to your phone. What we're doing is we're moving money across accounts. And the revolution, and I'll say this clearly, brought to us by our friends from the cryptocurrency world was to tokenize money, to make it into a digital stream of zeros and ones. So. Here's the part. So when I say I'm going to send you central bank digital currency from my phone to your phone, I literally am taking a series of zeros and ones that is the digital representation of money and sending it directly from my phone to your phone. And the key to all this is that I don't need a third party to do it. So. Again, I don't need a bank, I don't need a credit card, I don't need Google Pay, I don't need Apple Pay. It is transmission of digital currency from one to the other. And that's the revolution, taking third parties out of the payment process, which in the West means saving money because in, the, in China, we've got free payment, WeChat and Alipay. Granted, they're third parties, but they're mostly, for all intensive purposes, they're free. But in the West, generally, when you talk about digital payment, you're talking about credit card rails or credit card system, and there's a, there's a charge for doing it. So removing the third parties is what it's all about. What is the difference
0: between CBDCs uh, versus, say, the real-time gross settlement systems that currently exist or are
1: being put in place? Well, they're great. Um, if we look and so one of the common arguments, and this is borne out in, say, Australia, where they have the new, the new payment platform, NPP. Did I get that right? And of course, you go to India, you've got UPI, and now the Fed in the United States is developing something called FedNow, which is an instant payment system. They're great. I have nothing bad to say about any of them. However, remember this they all maintain the role of third parties as the intermediary between you and the person you're sending the money to so they're great they make payment instantaneous um they should make it. it's not clear yet for something like fed now they should make it free so that's good but again it is this maintenance it is maintaining a system which mandates that you use this third party between you and the payment receiver, which in a digital currency world is no longer required. We're talking about wallet to wallet, direct payment without the third parties. So great yeah. systems, love them, but they're only what I call halfway there. What's the benefit of, of getting
0: the full way there? I mean, if, if, if we assume that we've got a, a a UPI or a, a Chinese setup where the services are essentially free. Then, what is the benefit of removing that third party? I mean, at the end of the day, I don't have a third party if I go to my coffee shop and use my my notes to pay for a coffee. Uh, that's sort of frictionless, but it's obviously it's limited in terms of what, I guess my functionality because it's physical. Um, what, why do we need to to have digital
1: cash? I like to say that central bank digital currency's greatest legacy will be in financial inclusion. So hold on a second here. Let's take a step back and to really think about those who do not have a bank account. So for most of us, many of us, we look at the RTGS system, um, these, we are happy dealing with third parties because we are part of the banking system. Right. Now, if we look at the United States, there are 7.1 million Americans who do not have a bank account. Even worse, there's some 14 million Americans who are what are called underbanked. So they may have some banking system, but they're using cash check, uh, check cashing and other things. And it's not just the U.S. In the EU, there are some 40 million EU residents who do not have bank accounts. When you say have a bank, it works. Yes, for arguably, clearly the majority of the population, but we are still having this underserved group. Mm -hmm. Digital currency will reach out to them and say you do not need to have a bank account in order to make use of digital payment and to become part of the bank, the financially included people. So that's probably the most heart wrenching and most um, immediately necessary need for this. But we have to look to the bigger picture And I wanna go to China for that. And rather than talk about it in non-concrete terms, we're gonna go to a new research institute in Xi'an. Xi'an, China is a Western city and it's famous for computer coding. There's a new group there from the government that is looking at 70,000 new proposals for how to use central bank digital currency in the payment stream in China, which is my way of saying, or clearly the government's way of saying, fintech is going to explode with a digital payment system that allows free and immediate digital payment without third party intermediaries. So we're looking clearly at benefits and financial inclusion which also means benefits in payments. We just have all lived through a pandemic. We saw uh, direct payments from the government to citizens. Those all become free, cheaper, faster, easier to, 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 to work with. But the big game that we're looking at also is the benefit to FinTech development of new services, new processes based on central bank digital currency. And we already saw that with WeChat Pay and Alipay, who were the predecessor. That's the first generation of digital payment in China.
0: What, what are some of these services? What could they look like that's not already being developed outside of what a, a central bank digital currency can is being cooked up with? So private sector initiatives are bubbling away everywhere. So what can we get from this that might be a little bit different?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah. Well, as an example, let's not go to central bank digital currency in China because it's in trials. Let's look at what Alipay and WeChat Pay have already brought. Now, I grant they're not, they are third-party intermediaries, but what they did was they managed to bring to life that concept of 360-degree seamless financial services, okay? So, um, what I like to call hypermobility of my money. So I live in China, I use these apps every day. So the biggest benefit to me is the ability, the ability to go on app and use my money for any particular service that I choose. There's no wall. Yeah, ar- arguably, yes, there's the, the walled garden of Alipay and the walled garden of WeChat. We understand that, and that's not, not perhaps ideal, but whatever good or service I want to consume, it's available to me in digital format. So um, perhaps the experience that I would like people in the West to get, obtained through central bank digital currency is hypermobility of money. Meaning that your money can go wherever it is you desire it to go without the wall without the barrier, without the three-day waiting, without the 5% surcharge, without, yes, our service is available, but only if you pay with Visa, not American Express, or or the the complications that we have with sending and receiving digital payment in the West.
0: What's the role of regulation? Obviously, we're talking about digital currencies being promulgated by centralized authorities, central banks representing the government, uh, will there also be restrictions that they can embed
1: in terms of how this money gets used? Yes, and that's good and bad. So let's look at the good side of this, okay? This is essentially uh, programmable money, money that can be programmed to do certain things. So that's not new when, there are aid programs in the United States, okay? So they give, um, they send the recipients little debit cards and the debit cards can be used for certain goods and services, but not for other others. So you can basically buy food with it, but you can't buy beer and alcohol or maybe firearms. I don't know. But the point is there are certain limitations that are already programmed into aid programs in the West same thing with digital currency you can say okay we have an earthquake in a region we're going to give all of the inhabitants in that region a an aid payment but that aid payment has to be used within a certain period of time cannot be put in the bank for example has to be spent on the local economy has to go to the purchase of food clothing shelter whatever so that's the potentially good thing about it OK, that's necessarily good. Now, let's make it clear. People are saying, well, if I use digital RMB, I run the risk that China will cut me off. And, you know, there's already two major digital platforms in China. WeChat and Alipay. And the government has had a very laissez-faire attitude toward them. The government has not been shutting down WeChat and Alipay accounts for Chinese citizens historically. I'm not going to say that they haven't. There's no doubt that there's tax cheats. There are certainly fraudulent and and bad activity happening on these platforms that the government shuts down. But by and large, um, there's no, campaign on WeChat and Alipay to take people off the payment system because it is a systemically critical system to China. So the concept that China or other government is going to suddenly come down and pull you off a a central bank digital currency because you are um, politically inconvenient to them is So far, shown to be a bit of a stretch. Certainly, China would not want to do that with regard to a foreign user of its central bank digital currency, because it would be a public relations nightmare. And a lot of people outside who are looking
0: at banks, especially who are looking at tokenization and securitization within a blockchain context, are very eager to see central bank digital currencies as an important on-ramp and off-ramp. are the differences what do we need to keep in mind when we're looking at these different structures and when we're talking about a digital currency uh, digitalized currency really uh digital cash uh how should we think of that as it relates to what's going on in the crypto world or perhaps more broadly in the world of
1: tokenization number one crypto and cbdc will always live in separate worlds and they one won't kill the other, they're gonna peaceably coexist. Number two, next big point to make, there is no question about it. All the CBDCs that you will use in our immediate future are all distant cousins related to or derivative of the cryptocurrency world. Now, that said, they are cousins, but of course they're going to have clear KYC, know your customer requirements. They're going to have uh, AML, anti-money laundering associated with them. So clearly the world of, uh, of central bank digital currency is one of known digital identity with some controls on where the money goes, not too dissimilar to what we have with bank accounts right now. So but when it comes to oh. that
0: identity, Richard, when it comes to that that verification of who you are when you're sending digital cash, um, who's going to have the role of doing that verification? Does it come from the the central bank, or is there a role for commercial banks or other players to create a layer so that, you know, I can prove that I'm James and you're Rich, and you know, I'm giving you this cash from one phone to another.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So look that is exactly it. It is the commercial banks. Look, you go to India, go to China, go to really populous countries. The central bank is not set up in China to deal with 1.4 billion customers or 1.2 billion in India, or the the Fed is several 300 something million in the United States. That's not the job of central banks. So basically what China did was to use what's called a two-tier system where... You remain a client of a commercial bank and that commercial bank is responsible for KYC and maintaining a digital identity for those that have accounts. Now, the next question is, what happens for those who are rural poor? Now, they don't have bank accounts. Now, what the Chinese government has done for them is to say, we will give you um, a special card. And this little integrated circuit card can store uh, central bank digital currency to a limited amount. And um, eventually they might register it to you. I'm not, we're not sure yet, but basically it will allow small use of central bank digital currency um, by the unbanked without a strict, bank related KYC procedure uh, attached to it. Now, whether that means it comes from a phone company or whether it comes from a local municipality, we don't know yet, that's still to be determined. Um, But the concept is generally the banks with whom most people have an account now will eventually control access to your digital identity and help you onboard to digital currency.
0: Is there, what other roles will there be for the incumbents, the banks and the credit card providers in in a world where CBDCs become uh, commonplace?
1: Sure, that's a tricky question because for the bank, their role is clear. Look, what China did with their central bank digital currency because of this two-tier structure, it followed an old pattern, cash. You take cash from the central bank printing, printing presses, you bring it to your bank you take it from your bank via an atm machine or going to the teller so they're the distribution system they were the distribution system for paper they'll be the distribution for digital money okay now the tricky one are the credit card companies <laughs> because at least in the West, and to a certain degree in China, before the advent of WeChat and Alipay, they controlled the network that allowed digital payment. And that's still the case in the West. And for the privilege of using that payment system, we're all paying what are called bank interchange fees or merchant fees, which in the United States and Europe from roughly 2%, a half, two 2% to 3%. Some of the fintechs, and I myself use Square and I've sold books. I'm an author on Square. You know, I'm looking at paying five percent for the privilege. And right. it's expensive. The question is: what role will they have in a direct peer-to-peer payment system with no third-party required? And I'm sure they will work hard to find a role but I have to tell you, they are going to be potentially disrupted. They're the ones who are in the line of fire. None of the analysts have to date looked at the impact of central bank digital currencies on the future earnings of fintechs who have cooked into their business plans continuing flows of three, 4% for uh, cash, uh, cash tr- transfer fees. I, I don't know why they're missing it, but it's it is what I would call an inconvenient truth, perhaps. Look, I understand that it's not tomorrow, but this world is, we're not looking at a world that's 10 or 15 years away. We're looking at a world that's really five years. Your digital Euro project is, is, is going to happen. You can really, in fact, I give the European Central Bank a tremendous amount of credit for the forethought that they're putting into the digital euro and the uh, my favorite acronym, the coin, the Brits as well, the English are for the digital pound, they're putting a lot of effort in this, and their posturing to the world is actually very favorable and very positive. Uh, very positive. So this is not some sort of distant, f- remote future that oh well, you know I'll be old when this happens. No, this is near term.
0: Why are Banks sort of eager to have a CBDC before or as they go into this world of tokenization.
1: Um, that's sort of a complicated question because tokenization, the very concept, especially when it when you talk about tokenizing various assets, I think that's sort of one part of the crypto world. And certainly the tokenization of money is a subset, but I look at tokenized money, CBDC, is certainly useful as a means of payment for tokenized assets because it's digital. But I see them as somewhat as, uh, as separate um, separate issues. Now, the banks in China in particular they're fond, quite fond of tokenized money because for them, it gives them the ability to offer instantaneous payment through their digital wallet system. Remember, so the banks in China were disrupted by WeChat and Alipay who had instant payment. Banks lost a big, tremendous amount, billions, quite literally, depending on whose numbers you look at, 20 to 60 billion lost in payment revenue because it pulled payments off bank systems. Now, banks may not get the revenue, but they may g- win clients back to use bank systems and bank digital wallets to make instantaneous digital payments. So for the banks, they're, how do I put it? They don't really care as much much that it's tokenized, they just care that they get the ability to recapture instantaneous payment. And if it's via tokens, that's fine for them. If you're going to tokenize an asset, and you're going to say, okay, we're going to tokenize a stock security, for example, why shouldn't you be able to use a blockchain and directly purchase this tokenized asset, which might come from a regulated securities Uh, entity that has all the right laws and rules to issue this token, sure, you're going to be able to take your tokenized currency, buy a tokenized asset, and it will all travel on a blockchain system. So yeah, this is a breakthrough for how we transport currency. Last question, Rich. Uh,
0: Security, cybersecurity. The more things go digital, uh, the the more attractive attractive it is to to bad actors. Uh, What will be the way or what do you see happening to ensure that uh, digital cash systems are
1: uh, you know, safe as Fort Knox? Yeah, look, um, let's hit that right now and look what happened with the Alipay and the WeChat Pay revolution. There are $52 trillion in mobile payments in China. Okay? 3.7 times the GDP of China, and it's something like two and a half times all of the global card use in the planet. Now, wait for it. If you look at the fraud, the percentage of fraud on WeChat and Alipay, it's one tenth that of the credit card networks in the West. So they're doing it how? Biometrics. In order for me to use WeChat and Alipay, I have a facial scan. And it verifies my identity, both before I enter enter the app and then after I enter the app to make payment. Rich turn. it's been a
0: pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for giving us some, some insight into where we're all headed
1: with central bank digital currencies and the fintech ecosystem around them. James, thank you so much for having me on Ditchman, And I'd like to personally thank you for the wonderful review of CashList that you claimed is a must read. I cannot thank you enough for liking CashList.